Hey guys, very happy to announce our new sponsor of the show, and that is Run Your Mouth Coffee. Run Your Mouth Coffee is where delicious coffee meets uncensored speech. The co-founders are libertarians who have paired their love of fresh roasted coffee with the healthy hatred of censorship. Run Your Mouth Coffee was founded by two libertarian podcasters you might know, John Odermatt and Ben Pangy. The coffee beans are sourced from around the world and roasted to order in the U.S., so you receive your fresh roasted coffee at its peak flavor. If you're feeling rebellious, check out the Rebellion Beans. They're aged for 30 days in a bourbon barrel, then roasted to order. Go to rymcoffee.com and use promo code PTTW for 10% off and free shipping. And guys, there are a lot of reasons to support this company. I mean, not only is it a just great product and a product that you're already using, but with woke capitalism taking over, you don't want to support big corporations that are going woke. I mean, Starbucks, it's overpriced, it's overrated. Folgers is, I mean, it, they're probably woke. I haven't checked, but you know, anytime you have like a Chick-fil-A in the news, it's a big deal. So I just assume default settings, it's, you know, they're woke. So go with the anti-woke people, support like-minded libertarians. So go to rymcoffee.com, use promo code PTTW and get 10% off and free shipping. All right, let's get into the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Paul's to the Wall podcast. I am your host, Mike Paul, joined once again with my good buddy Tyler and the great John Odermatt, uh, one of the three hosts of the Lions of Liberty podcast. So John, how are you doing today? Doing awesome, man. Good to be on uh, Paul's to the Wall, the number one podcast in America, right? Number one. Hell yeah. <laughs> trying to trying to hold it you know, in that position. We're, uh, we're doing all we can to, to stay on top. But uh no, we're happy to have you. I believe this is the second time we've uh, had you on the show. Last time was with Brian about a year ago, I believe. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot's changed since then, and there's a lot happening in the meantime. But um, we were just talking off the air about some of the hot topics on Liberty Twitter <laughs> at the moment um, regarding the libertarian stance on what sex work and homeless people in public parks. So. We can just throw that out there and see which way you want to take it. And homeless people doing sex work in public parks. Yes. Yeah, well, that, that's the ultimate libertarian stance is homeless people selling meth while selling sex work in public parks. That's uh, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not even sure how it all started. I know Dave Smith was, as he's involved in pretty much every libertarian Twitter um, spat that, that starts up. Yeah. But you have the... Uh, the people on the left, the, the left libertarians, some would call them just leftists. Um, but, uh, you know, saying that basically we have to normalize sex work. It's got to be normalized. It's got to be a libertarian position. We've got to make it normal. Got to make it like, you know, just the same as being a scientist or a lawyer or a doctor is being a hooker. Same thing. Let's make it let's make it all the exact same thing. So what do you guys think about that? <laughs> um, I. I think that, yeah, I like that you also said some would call them leftists because that's pretty much where I place them. Um, or they're just leftists in denial. But, I mean, like a doctor or a lawyer, I think that being a good sex worker probably takes a lot of uh, experience to be good at it. So, that, and that's about where they diverge. That's where the, 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 the hourly changed. compensation <laughs> has to be comparable, you know, in certain markets. But um, <laughs> that's other, a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like the point. Um, you know, Steppy 
Steppy said it. I think someone posted a poll on Twitter, like, would you rather your kid was a cop or a sex worker? And, and Steppy, his answer I thought was pretty good. Like, you know, he'd rather his kid be a cop in a, in a rural area than his kid be a sex worker. And I, that's, I, I can relate to that. I think, I, I mean, not to say that, you know, people, libertarians should advocate for their kids to want to be cops, but I mean, if you want to get biblical, there's, there's some arguments to be made there in support of Steppy's statement. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I pretty much agree with, with that there. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. rather my kid, my daughter grew up to be a cop than grew up to be a sex worker. Um, you know, that's not to say, I think, you know, the state should be stepping in, not allowing, you know, people to perform sex work and, you know, get paid for it. It's a consensual transaction. People can do what they want as, as long as they aren't hurting anybody. But, you know, I don't think it's the role of, I don't, I don't think it's definitely not the purpose of libertarian philosophy to, you know, normalize, you know, certain, uh, certain traits that society has deemed not to be normal for moral reasons or ethical reasons or, or things of that nature. Um, it's, you know, as, as someone who, who has a kid and, uh, you know, I think mostly anyone who has a kid could relate to this. I mean, I don't want my daughter to grow up to to sell heroin. You know, it doesn't mean I think heroin should be illegal. So, like, I think people get confused in these libertarian circles, especially on the left, in thinking that, you know, the more free that we make society, that everything should, like, all these professions and all these trades should rise up and be equal, and we shouldn't point out, like, the, the, the huge problems with them. I mean... Sure, drugs shouldn't be illegal, but some of them are, are freaking super dangerous and they ruin lives. And I mean, it's it's not it's not a moral thing to be you know selling someone meth. That's it's not good for anybody. Right. So. Right. No, it's kind of like I mean, <laughs> to, to be kind of facetious, it's like talking about universities. It's like I don't think they should be illegal, but I don't want my kids going anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's something that uh, obviously is. Uh, viewed with a lot more positive light, but um, in our circle is, is is not so much. But um, no, I totally agree because I've I've got daughters too, and that whole thing where it's like, oh, we want to treat sex work as if they're doctors and lawyers and 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 so on and so forth. Um, it's absolutely batshit crazy if you're actually a parent. And I think a lot of people that are in the circle talking on that kind of side don't have kids or don't think about having kids very much. And it's one of those things that it really blows my mind that there's even people that argue that point and try to be taken seriously in our circle. It's like the, one of the first libertarian party conventions I went to, I think it was, it was 2018, which feels really long ago, but I guess it really wasn't that long ago. Um, I think, I think that was the year they put in like the, the sex work plank into the, the platform, like basically saying we support sex workers which there's no need for a political party to be supporting, you know, right. <laughs> certain, certain things over others. So right. like, that was the first time I was like, eh, do I want to really want to be associated with this? What's what's happening here? Um, so well, and I think that a lot of uh, the the nitty gritty of what entails, you know, what sex work is, gets kind of missed when people are making these arguments. You know, for every like 
high profile escort that's like running around Hollywood with A-list celebrities, you know, there's 25 people that are blowing some 300 pound drug addict, you know, drunk drug addict in an, in an alleyway for 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I don't think that it's something that, yeah, should really be a plank in a political party. I mean, you can, it can be, you know, maybe one of those things where people are kind of indifferent about it, but I don't know how it became like such a focal point and topic of discussion when there's a million other things going on right now that require some serious energy. Well, it's because the Libertarian Party had a CIA plant as its uh, chairman for several years. So. Yeah. Fact. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, it, you know, as much as they want to say that the GOP is controlled opposition, the LP I consider totally compromised. <laughs> so what exactly is the whole backstory with, with the whole homeless feud on Liberty Twitter right now? And for those who listen to our show and aren't involved in the whole Liberty Twitter circle, which at this point I'm pretty sure is the majority that are, like I, I've been kind of not paying attention to Twitter for the last week or so. My wife had COVID last week. I have COVID at this moment, actually. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm oh, quarantined wow. at home. Um, feel fine. But um, you're alive. Positive. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. You're probably patient zero for that that new variant. I miss Thanksgiving. But um, I that, just kind of hopped on the other day, though, and saw like all this homeless stuff. And I'm assuming it's something Dave Smith said, but I, I don't know the context. So what exactly happened? <laughs> What's everybody so up in arms about? You know, I, I don't know if I really I, I don't think i've been involved in the homeless one as much as uh the sex work one if that, if that makes sense but yeah, yeah I, I think i think it went back to something with dave smith saying you know he doesn't want homeless people you know sleeping in parks you know doing drugs in parks public parks that he's gonna you know take his daughter to let's keep that out of parks and I could be misrepresenting this, but even if I am, I think we can still talk about it this way and we're still going to get to the same core points. And the the pushback you get from this is really coming from the very principled um, libertarians would say, well, the answer to this is privatization. So instead of taking your kid to a public park, you take them to the park in your HOA. Or if you don't have a park in your HOA, get your neighbors together and build a park in your HOA or build one in your own yard, um, which, sure, that, that's great if you can, if you have the, you know, the the land to do that. Um, if you have an area, you know, where, you know, you, you can even build a park if you have the funds to, to build your own park. But a lot of people do not. Um, so just arguing against cleaning up a park um, and maybe, you know, coming together with your community and getting active and being like, how do we get these homeless people slinging poo at each other out of our parks so our kids can use the playground? Um, I, I don't think there's anything like anti-libertarian about that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. If that's the scenario, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the whole purpose of like, hey, you know, the whole public servants who create the parks and sort of your tax dollars go it's like i think that's a pretty reasonable request to not have homeless people and drug addicts uh, around your children so in order to make more money to build your private park you need to sell the legal heroin in the public park in the public <laughs> the park, public yes. park. 
Yeah, well, I think this is one of those things where, like, the couple threads that I saw, just people going off on their own tangents. And there was some interesting stuff. Like, there was one, you know, one, one libertarian who posted his own, like, story of how he became homeless. And I forget his Twitter name, but... Um, and it was like, you know, he'd gone to college and then he, when he graduated, his car broke down and it was, I mean, it was an unfortunate story of, of what happened. And he ended up, you know, basically, um, hanging out with a group of other young homeless people who were like camping out behind a church, camping out in a, you know, a, a public, uh, like a public park area. And then, you know, there's, there's other libertarians who, who kind of took it. It's like, well, there's homeless kids out there. You don't want homeless kids in parks and it's like i mean now you're just being difficult just just bringing this up no one's trying to like the problem we're not talking about is homeless kids it's uh homeless adults um posing a threat to children in parks and i think like libertarian or not as human beings uh, we should figure out a way to to stop that i don't think that's really that that hard to figure out agreed 100 percent so now, John, you're also kind of known for your, might I say, like entrepreneurial ventures and multiple sources of income. So just kind of do like a hard segue here into that topic that's a little more fun to talk about than kind of the, the current events on Twitter. Um, can you give us a little backstory about yourself and, and kind of how you got into like even the Lines of Liberty Circle um, as, a, as a host for that show or any of the ventures you're in or kind of your mindset and all of your kind of uh, entrepreneurial endeavors that you're involved with? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll just give a, I guess, a brief entrepreneurial overview. So, I mean, just to be perfectly upfront, I still do work a, uh, a corporate job, which um, I w- would like to get out of that um, sometime soon. But uh, I do have several several side um, hustles. Uh, the first entrepreneur, entrepreneurial venture I ever had was when I was in sixth grade. I started a lawn care business and mulching business and, and all that good stuff. Um, I think I see that less and less happening with, with kids. And that's concerning to me. Like in my neighborhood, I don't see any like kids out there cutting grass, you know, for 20 bucks, 25 bucks a lawn. I see like these, you know, grown men and their lawn companies servicing entire neighborhoods, which, you know, that's unfortunate because I think that's a, a very easy, um, entry into entrepreneurship is in a very low skill trade like that. Um, and I think it's great for, for kids to, without going on a total tangent here, I think it's great for kids to learn like a transaction of, you know, directly supplying their services and getting paid directly for that. Um, and also not paying the IRS because it's under the table, Hell yeah. uh, rather than going and clocking into, you know, working at McDonald's and, you know, working your whatever, 15, 20 hours a week, getting that paycheck, um, and getting paid that way as a first job. So I think that was a big start for me, um, doing that for like from sixth grade. until I graduated high school and like kind of, unfortunately, I guess like my parents never pushed me into entrepreneurship like they actually discouraged me doing stuff like that after my uh after that first uh, venture i had as, as a kid and they kind of just pushed me down the, the the regular route the you know go to go to college get a good job get your internship do all that bullshit um so that's what i did and it's unfortunate because i think and i think a lot of people fall in this position is that the, your parents like 
especially in middle class areas um, and kids who do go to college, um, you end up like trying to like please your parents. And it's like, well, I have to, you know, my, my parents, you know, help me out with this, they help me out with that. So they're advising me to go this way. So, so that's what I'll do. So it avoided me from taking different risks earlier in life and, and maybe trying to uh, start something um, of my own sooner. But uh, once I got a foundation, um, I felt a lot more comfortable. So my first real venture um, into entrepreneurship was, I believe, in 2015 when I was listening to, um, I forget, some entrepreneur podcast. And they had on this crazy guy named Mark Podolsky. And he was talking about buying vacant land at auctions and by just mailing um, delinquent uh, people who were landowners who were delinquent on their taxes, um, sending them lowball offers, and then you know buying the land and flipping it, uh, either selling it for cash or, or selling it on terms. I was like, that sounds pretty crazy. Maybe I'll figure out how to do that. So I ended up <laughs> buying this guy's course. And uh, it was like, this was before like, there's courses everywhere now. Like you see courses on how to do Facebook ads and Instagram ads and do all these different things. Like this course was like bare bones, like almost nothing. Like it just gave you like little hints on what to do. And I paid like, I think I paid like a thousand dollars for it back then, but it was still enough to just give me just enough to figure it out. So I started doing that and I've, I've kind of expanded that. I, uh, one of my buddies, we, we, uh, sort of expanded it and he came in as, as a partner so that's called um, now JB Wilmat, JB Wilmat Properties, and primarily um, we buy and sell land right now in California, but we're trying to get the hell out of there because California's a shithole. So uh, plan to plan to do it more in the in the Northeast, West Virginia, Ohio, maybe Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania is a tough market. Um, and and then I mean. Then obviously Lions of Liberty. Um, I guess Lions of Liberty technically was my first like entrepreneurial venture, but we didn't really start it with that in mind. We just started it because we wanted to talk politics and, and nobody wanted to listen to us. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's amazing how many listen now, right? <laughs> yeah. So we yeah we so we started a blog first, and then Mark accidentally started a podcast when he interviewed Stephen Kinsella, and Stephen nice. Kinsella was like, "Why don't we record it and post it?" And he did, and people watched it, and we're like, wow, more. It's like more people watched this interview or listened to this interview um, than like read our blog in the past month. So we're like, oh, this could be something here. Um, so that, yeah, that that whole thing took off. Um, Mark did it for about two years, and Brian and I would come on and like do segments, um, and that's where I like started with the the Felony Friday angle, talking about the criminal justice system. I would come on and just talk about crazy shit that was going on, um, you know, different injustices and whatnot. And then I spun that off about six years ago into uh, Felony Friday. And, you know, a lot of people, when they start a podcast, do a lot of planning and they try to line up a lot of guests and they figure out what their content's going to be. I did not do any of that. I just kind of started episode one and I had Mark on and we did the same thing, just talked about, you know, felonies in the news and things like that. And then just by like accident, people started contacting me. Um, like I had a, a prison guard contact me and then I would have like, uh, you know, someone who did time for, you know, s selling pot or something contact me and it just kind of like built up organically, um, into this network of people who had, who'd been to prison, um, mostly nonviolent drug offenders, 
who had these crazy experiences. I just, I mean, I have changed the name of the show to, to, uh, to finding freedom, but I still do interview people who, who've, who've been to prison. Uh, I just interviewed a lady today, which will be posting in, uh, in two weeks who first time offender, she was a school teacher, um, got caught up with, uh, you know, some, some of the, some of the dudes from the wrong sides of the tracks and, uh, started selling cocaine as you do. And, uh, one thing led to another. And before you know it, she's sentenced to 30 years in prison. Um, so it's, 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 it's crazy. The criminal justice system is entirely broken. And the only reason that I shifted from just felony Friday and just criminal justice, not the only reason, one of the main reasons is because COVID was happening. And I'm like, holy shit, this is like the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life from a rights infringement standpoint, businesses getting shut down, um, you know, governors mandating, you know, we have to wear something on our faces. We have to muzzle ourselves to, to shop and do these different things. Um, I have to start talking about this because this is just insane. So I wanted more flexibility to talk to business owners, um, to just talk to all different kinds of people. I talked to a, a, a tour guide in India um, right before they had their, their huge wave of COVID. And he told me some just, just insane stories of when the government did their lockdown over there. Um, the way India is set up, they have these massive cities that's surrounded by these like satellite villages that are like pretty far away. And they, these workers rely on public transportation to get into these major cities. And they were left public transportation. Everything shut, shut down. They had to walk like hundreds of miles back to their cities. There's people dying in the streets. There's people with, with no water, with you're walking with children on their backs. Just a complete disaster scenario. So um, I went all over the place there, but that, that'll happen. <laughs> well, that fills in a lot of blanks. Yeah. So... Now, do you and Mark and Brian go way back? Did you guys were you guys friends before you started the show, or did you guys kind of come together as you built it, or how did that all work out? Yeah, we met. Uh, the three of us went to Penn State, and uh, we were in the same fraternity. Uh, Mark and Brian are three years older than me, so they were they were seniors when I was a freshman. So you were the one that got hazed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> Yeah, but we, we didn't have one of those like uh, weird gay fraternities. We just had um, just a lot of mostly push-ups and um, cold, like cold temperature stuff. Like, uh, so, you know, Penn State, it's in the middle of freaking Pennsylvania. So during like, you know, during our hell week, um, it's like 30 degrees. And basically, it actually comes from like Navy SEALs training. Um, you learn to live like being wet constantly. That was that was really difficult. But we didn't do any that weird hazing stuff. I think all the dudes in in our house would have just walked out if any of that stuff started to happen. So, but that's I mean, and just to finish off that story, like, so Mark actually he was into libertarian stuff in college, but none of us ever talked about it. I was a diehard neoconservative in college, like, uh, the type of person who would scream at you, um, about George Bush spreading democracy in the middle East by dropping bombs on people and children. Um, and, uh, the first time that I found, I didn't find out Mark was a libertarian. I didn't even know what a libertarian was until, uh, Mark and Brian were living in California and I had just moved out there and we're at this dive bar 
and uh, this is 2007, I think, right at the beginning. I think Ron Paul just declared somewhere in that window. And I was talking about, you know, these different Republican candidates and, you know, who, who, who I was going to support. And Mark's like, oh, have you heard about this this Ron Paul guy? He's uh, he's anti-war and he's uh, he's talking about the Federal Reserve inflated the money supply and, and causing inflation. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Are you speaking Spanish? Like, what, what is this stuff? A Republican who's anti-war, the Federal Reserve? What? So that, I mean, like, obviously in one night, that wasn't enough to, like, convert me. But that sent me down, like, the Ron Paul YouTube rabbit hole. And then the Ron Paul Rudy Giuliani moment. I don't know if you guys were, oh, yeah. if you remember that or you've seen videos of it. But that's what just, like, blew my mind wide open. And I remember talking to uh, some of my family, like, later that week about it, um, like defending Ron Paul and they were all diehard Republicans. They were like, man, Rudy sure showed him. I bet he drops out within the next week. I'm like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that started something. So, um, and then from there, like we just all caught the, caught the Ron Paul fever, not to sound cultish, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's a good cult to be in. If you're going to be in one. But. I mean, it, 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 is, it really is. I mean, I, I was I forget I was talking about it with this recently, but really everything is a cult. It's just like degrees of cult. And it's like, is this a dangerous cult or does this cult serve a purpose? Um, yeah. And it's a, Ron Paul is definitely a, a cult figure. Um, he's a peaceful cult leader. He's not hurting anybody. So I, I think that's OK. But <clears> they, we had the uh, back in the day, there was the Daily Paul. And that's like where we got our start. Um, it was like a forum. Dave Smith was on there back then. Um, lurking in the shadows, but that's where we like got our most of our early following for the podcast and the blog was by posting it over there. I don't know if you guys were libertarians back back in that day. It's probably before our time. Tyler and I are like a, what a, two weeks apart <laughs> as far mm-hmm. as age. Like I think we were right around our eleventh birthday on nine eleven. So I was okay. like pre before I met Scott Horton. Like Toby Keith was my foreign policy expert. You know, <laughs> that's that was it. It was like, yes, let's boot, turn the Middle East put to a glass. Put in their ass. It's the yes. American way. Yeah. 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 Back then, that should be fired up when you're a preteen. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, later on is, you know, I, I don't think probably to we were Tyler and I met when we were straight out of high school. We went to trade school together. And I think right about then is when we were both kind of I think Tyler was a little more left than me when we first met. And I was very neocon right, like you were describing. And we kind of converged, and by the time we were like, yeah, our friendship gelled. We were both like staunch libertarians, <laughs> so it worked out for the better. That's, so that what was sums it up? Yeah. So were you guys who who introduced each of you to like what was the spark that that made you libertarians or at least consider it? Huh. For me, That's a good question. I would say uh, Mike and his brother Nick. Kind of, and then oddly enough, Ayn Rand and Joe Rogan, and yeah. like uh, pre uh, pre, what was it? Um, Prager U, Dave Rubin. Yeah, like, and if I got to be honest, um, so I took a weird weird path to finding the light, and then I started into you know some Rothbard, um, a little bit of Hayek and Mises, and mm-hmm. some Hopper lately. Yeah. And, um, there's it's actually something I've never even brought up on the podcast, but, uh, Nick and I had an older brother that we, we lost to suicide when we were younger. He was only 26. I was 22. Nick was 18 at the time, but he was, uh, a libertarian in high school. 
And I used to think he was like a liberal hippie. He was just like, oh, we should legalize prostitution and weed. And I was like, ah, you're nuts. Like, you know, we were very Mm -hmm. kind of right wing conservative Catholic household. And he was very articulate, just read and read and read. He read all the the Rothbard and Mises and all this stuff that was just way over my head that I just wrote him off for like, oh, you're just doing hippie stuff. And I never, ever like, I just thought he was crazy. And the older I got, everything he would argue, he was very articulate, um, would always come back and be like, oh, you were right about that. Oh, you were right about that. And also I got older and older and realized everything that he would bring up to me was always proven to be right. Like I remember one time when I had my first job, I was 16 and I think Obama was our, uh, you know, in Illinois at that point with, uh, what's his name? The governor of the one that went to jail which uh, one Lagoyevich. <laughs> and, no, that's the, that's the and, best governor <laughs> yes and we were talking about that and i said uh i was like well the only thing they've done good is raise the minimum wage because i was 16 and with a self-interest i was like hey 675 is better than 650 and my brother just went in this autistic rant about how minimum wage is not a good thing and he just shut me down when i sat there speechless and i was like i stand corrected and then i started listening to him from there on out but um, unfortunately, but by, by the time I, you know, we, I did lose my brother, we, I was never able to tell him that I became a libertarian because I was 22 at that point. Mm-hmm. It was probably when I was like 23, 24, where it really kind of gelled. And my younger brother, Nick, kind of really got into the Ron Paul stuff because he was listening to Joe Rogan at that point. And it all just kind of clicked into place. But he was the first one where I heard telling me all these talking points that were just like completely different where it's like fox news msnbc fox news msnbc like he had this third take that mm-hmm. made me think and i was like no one's ever addressed these points before and i don't have answers for them so that's kind of my first red pill and i think there's a lot of that like ingrained in me when i met tyler because right around that age when we met and um so i had a lot of those deep questions and it kind of just gelled and then boom you find dave smith and tom woods and you guys like right in those early years and then it just kind of hey there's a whole underworld of people who think like this yeah, man. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your brother, dude. That's that's, that's yeah, tough. Um, yeah, I have, I have no problems talking about him. Yeah, um, but but something something that that makes me think of. It, Mark kind of brought this up to me recently, and and I really hadn't thought about it this way. Like people talk about like not we were just talking about it now. Like what like you know, what was that spark? What what woke you? What woke you up? I th- I think the more I think about it, it's it's almost something. I don't think everyone has it to be able to think about these ideas and even, and even understand them. Um, I don't know if it's sort of like in, in, in some people's genes, like it's in our genes that we're able to, uh, able to grasp the principles of Liberty. Uh, maybe, maybe it's different degrees. Uh, some people can, can just get a little bit of it, but I think some people honestly are just, are just lost causes. Like you're not yeah. going to wake up a Bernie Sanders, maybe occasionally you will, but 99% of the time, you're not going to wake up like a Bernie Sanders socialist who's going to come all the way back and be talking about, you know, property rights and, uh, you know, the, the Fed causing inflation. And um, so it's, you know, Dave Smith talks about spreading the message. And I think yeah, I think it's great doing that, especially, you know, using this podcast, do that and getting on Fox Business and on Kennedy and, and all that stuff. And eventually, if he decides to run for president, I mean, that's that's all well and good. I'll, I'll support him. But I think like you're really not waking people up. You're really just saying something that's going to resonate with people. Be like, oh, wow, I was just thinking that. And he just said that. Okay, maybe maybe I'm not crazy. That's uh, that makes sense. So it's it's more just like 
letting people, giving people the room and the space to like um, sort of take action on these ideas and embrace them. I've had, um, I've had a lot of people that are receptive to what I say, but it's, I mean, you're, you're deconstructing years of, of programming and, Hmm. you know, just, it's, I don't want to say reality shattering because I, you know, I, obviously if it was that reality shattering, maybe LP member would actually get more than like 3% of the vote. But, um, you know, it, people like, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like that's why inflation sucks. And then they go right back to like, I really don't know why they don't raise the minimum wage, you know, like those battle lines. Yeah. I just think some people there's no matter what, like you could present them with a 500 slide PowerPoint with all the information condensed down. So it's so convincing you know, you could give them a book. They won't read it. I think that's something libertarians should absolutely ditch is, well, maybe if you just read Rothbard, you'd be, the, you know, mm-hmm. no, no one's going to read Rothbard. Right. Like the only people that are going to read Rothbard are the people that already are buying into it. Or maybe, you know, like you said, John, they're predisposed to it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I spreading the message is good, but I, I just, I, I kind of think that people are, especially now with how partisan things have gotten. I think that people are like, they'll listen to get you to shut up and then they'll go back to believe in what they want to believe. I mean, it's, it's the same way on the, the, you know, the Trump, Trump, right. They're not going to, they're not going to listen to any, you know, certain more like left leaning libertarian appeals. They're not going to listen. They just, you know, it's the same way with like they're blaming Biden for inflation when Trump played just as big of a part in it. Right. <laughs> Hard pill to swallow for the right wing crowd there. I, I think that there's so there's sort of a silver lining there though, because they're like the you talk about the Trump right. I mean, I think a large group of those Trump supporters supported Ron Paul. And they didn't support him because, you know, Ron Paul's a principal libertarian and he was Dr. No. You know, he never voted for the spending bills. He never voted to raise taxes. They supported him because he was an outsider and he was he was different and he wasn't, you know, like all these other scumbag Washington. I, I think libertarians can get more influence and power just by, you know, be, being like Dave Smith, getting your name out there. Um, and you don't expect to convert people all the way to, to what you believe in, but you can get a couple, you know, a couple core, a uh, couple core foundational policies and kind of build, build coalitions. You And you don't need everybody. I mean, maybe you get, you know, 5% of the people or 10% maybe who, who are on board with you. I mean, that's, that's how, that's how power is, uh, is really, uh, is really accumulated. I mean, look, look what the freaking progressives have done. They've taken over the entire country. They've taken over every institution. And how many people really agree with them? I don't even know if it's more than like 5%. Like, it seems that way because it's everywhere. And like, look at CNN, it's all progressive. You look at MSNBC. Everyone's afraid not to agree with them. That's what it is. It's like, yeah, I could lose my job if I don't. But they got got the the areas that that shape culture and influence. You know, they're in education and journalism and, and entertainment. Yep. That's really the only areas they have real, I would say, power. I mean, but then they use that to get their their lackeys elected. You know, they they use it to push 
all sorts of demonic things like the vaccine mandates and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's, and, and I think, I know I've heard people try to like break down, like there's a natural, like conservatives and like liberty minded people are not, they don't gravitate towards those types of uh, occupations. Like, you know, they gravitate towards business engineering, like they, it's, you know, more like a private, private industry type areas, you know, versus like artistic and public service type career sectors. Right. So I, I don't think, you know, I've heard some people say, well, maybe we just need to start getting more of our people in those institutions. But I, I don't think that those people are predetermined to do that. I mean, I never once thought like, oh, I'd love to be a teacher, like not once. It just it had no appeal to me. Never want to be a teacher. <laughs> and I, no. I, I can't even fucking draw, so I didn't want to go into art. <laughs> well, to your point, though, even like think about if we had to go back to survival times, like go to cavemen or just like apocalypse shit hits the fan. Like everything that they control right now is useless in those times, like entertainment or, you know, educating like mass crowds or um, political power, like ruling over people. You got to be able to do what John was talking about with us is about like being able to provide for yourself and be self-sufficient. Those are the valuable skills in that environment, you know, but we're in such like a luscious environment with commodities and standard of living that all of those other areas like political power and education and entertainment are like luxuries that they've taken over that just happen to influence over all the culture and the children. Mm hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, and it kind of everything ties back to the Federal Reserve. But yes, like I, I think part of the reason why in the U.S. we haven't seen, you know, really a lot of pushback to vaccine mandates. I mean, you look in these foreign countries, there's, you know, these huge, massive gatherings and I'm not sure if they're working or not for them. But at least at least there's some visual of, of pushback in the U.S. There's like you know, a hundred people marching across a New York city bridge or something, or there's just these little, almost nothing. It, it seems like, and I think that's because everyone is so comfortable. Like people, are seven, when we print all this money, when we monetize all this debt, 70% of it spread out across the world, only 30% of it is really um, distributed within the United States. A lot of it's tied up in banks. Um, we're not seeing anywhere near the inflation we, we should be seeing for the, the amount of spending. And we're basically living on the backs of the world. And it's keeping it's keeping the people comfortable enough that just they don't get upset when they get their rights trampled on because it's been slow enough and they're comfortable enough. There's still food on the table. Um, I mean, the only things that really seem lately to uh, to really push buttons is when um, with the election in Virginia, when there was the uh, transgender student who assaulted two other students or two different schools and the uh, critical race theory being taught in schools or potentially to be taught in schools, just the potential of it was enough to get some parents to wake up. But how many decades has it been with propaganda being taught in school already and nobody's saying anything? So it's it's crazy how these little issues seem to seem to be bringing people awake, but... I, I mean, I'm just concerned they'll go right back to sleep when, uh, you know, comfort returns. When they get another stimmy check. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. That's all that, yeah, that, that, those stimmy checks were just, please don't burn up, burn down the post office. You know. Exactly. We know, we know we're ruining your life, but please. 
Just get but, used to this. We'll keep sending you money in the mail. It'll be just fine. Yeah. But, but I, I yeah. think that there's, you know, the pushback on the education is good. I wish it would go a little further. Like I, I've been, you know, saying to people like, I really hope a parent shows up to a school board meeting with a guillotine. I'm, I'm waiting for it. That'll be the moment when the tide is officially turning. <laughs> when this a parent pure, rolls in with a this guillotine. Is, this is a satirical podcast. Nothing we say. Yeah. No, I'm not saying put anyone's head in it. I'm just saying as a symbol. <laughs> a symbolic gesture. Just a nice homemade guillotine. Dull, yes. The blades don't even have to be sharp. Well, maybe you don't right, want right. them sharp anyway. If you're, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. I've never used a guillotine. Never. I don't know, but I think there's... Don't plan on that. using one either. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, it, you know, that and I think uh, the pushback on the education was good. And also the uh, consecutive years of record gun sales. I, I think that. And that's, gun that's crazy. policy that's changing. Like there's yeah. a lot. That's the one thing no one's talking about besides Tim Poole brings up quite often. But how there's like a lot of like two a positive news happening a lot across the states, um, which is kind of odd because you mm-hmm. think. That's the one thing that'd be concerning me the most on top of all this is if they were just cracking down on gun laws and taking guns away from people. And that's what we were expecting originally when all this stuff broke out. But it seems like the amount of constitutional carry states and um, even like concealed carry states have like started to increase. And I think in, in the rejection of the, that Chipman clown for ATF director. That right. Was positive. Yeah. The, I, the Waco guy. Yeah. I don't yeah. think th- I think that the cats, out, they, there's a half a billion firearms in this country. There, there's no way there's no That's truly unprecedented. Anymore. I mean, you've seen <laughs> a lot of different nations take over and take guns away, but ours is incredibly unprecedented. There's no, yeah. there's no controlling it anymore. They yeah, couldn't I mean, force it even obviously, if they wanted to. Obviously, guns are good. I love guns. I think everyone should have a gun. And I think it does it, it defends our rights in to to some limit. But I think what gets lost is the current climate we live in where we're so tied to, uh, you know, an online presence. We're so tied to, uh, you know, being able to go online and do banking and use PayPal and use our credit cards that it's very easy for the government to, uh, come in and say, Oh, you don't have your vaccine card. Oh, well you can no longer shop at Amazon. You can no longer use chase bank. Um, you can no, no, no longer use PayPal. So I don't, th- I think the biggest threat to our rights is stuff like that happening, yeah. which I think that's not a matter of if it's a matter of when the only question is, will we have enough of a, uh, you know, decentralized finance system set up with cryptocurrency that we're able to just navigate around it and say, well, who, who cares? I mean, we're, we're fine without you. So you, you can tell they're very nervous the way that, you know, Hillary's on a, like a, a talk show tour trying to badmouth Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies right yeah. now. Like they're, that's kind of a, a sign that they're back into a corner and they're lashing out right now. They know that's a threat to their, to their power. But yeah, I mean, that's the, the more you think along all those lines of just being decentralized from all those kind of, uh, things that you're so dependent on. I mean, are you kind of a guy who pays attention to like off the grid type living or anything like that is like a, a plan B type kind of uh, owning property in a freer state with self-sufficient land? I mean, that's kind of where my mind goes quite a bit. Not quite Amish. I mean, I respect a lot of what they're where they're going and what they do, but um, just kind of having your own self-sufficiency and being as off the grid as possible while also kind of still utilizing 
a lot of the modern marvels that are in our society. Something to be said for the Amish. I mean, yes. they've they've done very well through COVID. Um, I was watching this like little short documentary, and they were saying that um, this past year, 2021, has been like their best year financially, because like all these other businesses they're competing with, they all closed down or they had different mandates to deal with. The Amish just did their business and just made money. And they all got COVID early because they all went back to church. They all drink out of the same wine glass. They all got sick. Sure, yeah, some people died because COVID is a real thing. I'm not not debating that, but they all got it and they have natural immunity. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, my dad actually, uh, I still haven't seen it, but him and my mom bought 100 acres in Tennessee, um, middle of nowhere in a Mennonite Amish community. And they went down there to first see it I think like three months into COVID in 2020. So last summer and they went there and they were talking to these shops. And number one, my dad said the shops were just super clean. Like they went to like a leather shop where the guy fit his belt to him, uh, you know, like on the spot. And he's like, I'm going to put one hole in this, uh, in this belt and I'll put one on each side of it. And whatever you put in your mouth will decide which way that goes. So he gave him three holes in his belt. <laughs> and he said like, everything was so spotlessly clean. All the kids were polite and they didn't know about COVID. So, there, my dad asked him, like, so how are you guys dealing with all this this COVID stuff? And he's like, the what? He's like, uh, the virus that's going around. And the guy, with all seriousness, just said, oh, we wonder what happened to all the English. Like, like that's their big tourist community. Like, they had no idea. They just saw their traffic dumbed down. But they don't have they don't have internet. They don't have television. They're just like, yeah, our traffic slowed down. That explains it. But, wow. yeah, they, they knew nothing about it. I'm sure maybe some people had sickness like you just normally write off like oh yeah someone got sick this week and pete quinones said that about africa too if you saw that headline floating around yeah about africa's only six percent vaccinated how do they have such low cases and deaths <laughs> and pete just quote tweeted that headline and goes they don't have tv <laughs> <laughs> or processed food and yeah, they're on yeah. the sunlight and they're working every day they're not obese mm. They're, yeah. they're walking around. Yeah, they're actually moving their bodies every single day. Yeah. And they're getting a lot of sunlight, too, because, yeah, they're outside. But, yeah, I mean, to go back to what you were talking about is becoming self-sufficient. I think about it all the time, and I'm, I'm kind of worried that I'm, I'm not doing enough um, now. Um, so I, it's probably on my list for, for next year to start, you know, looking at acquiring a piece of land, you know, somewhere not too far away, that, you know, that can be kind of – utilized um you're still I'm, in california i'm in i'm in pennsylvania oh you're in pennsylvania so, okay yeah yeah i moved i moved back from california years ago met my wife back here in, in pa and uh and settled down but i mean I, I do like i do a lot of gardening at, at our house now and like i'm always trying different things like this year i put uh like hoop houses with uh greenhouse um, plastic over our raised beds i'm growing lettuce in the winter so, I mean, there's little things like that I can do, but if I, if I had more land, I would, I mean, I would do some crazy shit. I would build, build up a bunch of greenhouses and get some animals. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more difficult than maybe we realize, like, it's, it's almost impossible to be like totally self-sufficient, but if you can at least have like a skill or something, you one or two things you can get good at that you can trade with other people. Uh, I think that's, that's probably the sweet spot. You ever read about like um, when the hippies started a homesteading movement in the '60s, and then they're yeah out in California on the the pot yeah. farms, or? and the, and they're like, man, like this is 
This is way more hard. This is way harder work than just working a normal job. Working for the man. Weed. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, all we do is it's we work from sun up to sundown. Yeah. Because they, you know, they were. It was yeah, it's the same thing. They were on a big movement of you know being all self-sufficient off the grid. Yeah, I think it is hard work. And then you gotta find something to do with all that produce that you grow too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you got it. Then you so then you got to get into canning, fermenting, yep. or like you said, you know, find people to to trade some stuff with. Yeah. But. No, because I'm in a small town, and and we moved here last year. But I'm on five acres of ag land. But I got four little kids that are very young, twins that are two. Just keep perspective. So it's like we have a lot going on. Like I want to do more gardening. I wanted. I would love to have animals. We're we're zoned to do all that stuff. But it, it, you know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment and it, it's a full-time thing you can't let up on like vacations. You got to find people to tend to your, you know, your, your livestock mm-hmm. or, or crops if you're going out of town. So there's a lot of commitment. It's not just like, Hey, just put some stuff in the ground and then you got food. You know, it's, it's a, it's a whole lot of work. So we're trying to do that little by little, but even just like little things like I, I'm on propane in my house. We don't have natural gas out here and propane is stupid expensive right now. So like just to fill up my little tank the other day. I think it's like 250 gallons. They fill it halfway. It's a 500 gallon tank, but they fill 250 gallons. It was like 600 bucks. And last year it was 385. And we would do like four and a half. Inflation is transitory. Okay. Yeah. But we do have a a, a fireplace. Just eat beans. It'll be okay. You'll be fine. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We have a fireplace insert though. So if I can burn wood all day, it kind of, you know, at least mitigates it. So we only run the furnace like for three hours a night or something. But kind of like what you're saying of like how you can't do it all to homestead it, but you can find different ways to trade for it. I have a side hustle where I buy and sell snowmobiles. And eventually I have like a couple old scrap ones at the end of the year that I have no money in or I'm up in and they're free. But I traded an old kind of beat up one that didn't run for two cords of firewood the other day. So it's kind of like, Mm. oh, that works. And I just freed up 600 bucks for this month. And I have now I got to tend to it though. It's like every day I wake up at 6 a.m. I clear out all the ash. I fire the fireplace back up, turn off the furnace, and then stack white uh, logs for my wife to put in there all day. Um, but it does it does work. It does save you money in the long run. So it, it's a lot of work to be self sufficient, even for something that small and minuscule. Let alone if you get into livestock and, and farming. That's where you realize that's a full time job. It's hard to hold down a job around doing all that if you're going to just be a full on 100% self reliant homestead. Yeah. Well, at least, I mean, at least with the wood burning, I mean, you have also, it's, you have an alternative. Like if, if you can't get propane for some reason, then at least you're not going to freeze. Oh yeah. But you, you would be sick. I, I, right now I work in the oil and gas field. You'll be sick seeing all the propane that is just burned off <laughs> because it's not profitable or because, you know, different states, um, you know, d- don't approve pipelines in order to transport it. Um, it's, it, it's stupid. <laughs> I believe it. It's probably all some government regulation causing all of it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It pisses me off. And then they mm-hmm. shut down pipelines with the clowns in mm-hmm. office now. Like we could be totally energy independent. Oh, definitely. It, it's yeah. fucking ridiculous. I mean, we're getting low on time, but I could do a whole hour down a rabbit hole of compressed natural gas powered cars. <laughs> I don't know if you ever looked into that, John, but we, my dad's been running that for over well, probably 15 years now. I mean, I drove one for three years. It's, Really? That's a whole, yeah. And they're it, take your, you know, put your tinfoil hat on for this one. But all the cars that we bought were ex government cars. They were like, we had a van that was ex government. I had an ex cop car, Crown Vic, that ran on it. Factory made by GM, factory made by Ford and Chrysler. Mm-hmm. Not offered to the public, only available to the government since like the early 90s. They make these things. And 
the fuel it's efficiency. Hard to gas up though, right? Like, how how do you gas up? So that's what's interesting. You can do it at home. My dad had a compressor at at his house when I used to live there. Um, it does a gallon per hour. You just plug it in like an appliance. It hooks up like a stove or a gas uh, furnace mm-hmm. or a gas, uh, you know, dryer. It just has a two twenty power line for the compressor and a natural gas, you know, just uh, out of the ground feed, and it compresses it up to thirty six hundred psi and puts it in your tank. And it takes a gallon per hour. So you get home from work, you plug your car in like a battery charger, you come out in the morning, you got a full tank, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to do it. But there are fast fills. Um, if you, there's even like in Wisconsin, we're in Northern Illinois, but, uh, the quick trip chain up in Wisconsin has been trying to push it for the last decade and they have fast fill stations and you just plug it in, you turn a valve and it's just, just fills your car as fast as gasoline. The downfall of that though, is that it fills so fast that it builds up heat. So when you get a full tank, by the time it cools down, it's like three quarter a tank, um, just cause the gas cools off. Mm-hmm. But, um, so there's a downside to fast fill, but there's, the infrastructure is in place. This technology is in place. The power, the gas mileage, everything is in place. Like you can't tell the difference. I mean, the trucks we were driving, like 2004, 2005 Chevy four by four trucks with V8s, like the six liter LS motors and the power from gasoline to natural gas. You can't tell the difference. You, if you run it only on natural gas, you got to change your oil like every 15,000 miles because there's no carbon. You pull it out after 15,000 miles and the oil looks like honey still. It just breaks down. So you got to change it. But anyways, I go on for like an hour about this, but it's it's an interesting yeah, I'm thing. Sure that... there's, I'm sure there's definitely a conspiracy there. I know that, yeah. you know, at Penn State where I went to school, like all the buses were run on natural gas. Um, yep. Yeah. So the, the infrastructure is there, but there's it's government regulations, I'm sure. holding And the reserves. And... The reserves of it are crazy. Like I forgot how many years just of the natural gas reserves in the U.S. that we could tap, but it's like centuries that we have available mm-hmm. right now that we know of. And that's why the whole fracking thing is kind of like a propaganda scheme to try to make that so like, oh, this is evil. It's starting water on fire in people's houses. Um, not saying like fracking is 100% good. I don't know all everything about it, but I know there's a lot of propaganda to try to talk about how natural gas is terrible for the environment. Mm-hmm. And you realize it's like the vaccine and all the, the COVID stuff. Whoever has the interest and the power and the money and the influence at the top is going to feed the narrative. And if you're worried about gas prices, just get an electric car. That's what Mayor Pete said. <clears throat> yeah, if you're poor, drop 80K in a Tesla. Yeah. It'll save you money. Problem solved. Actually, no more gas The electric prices. cars are for the poor people. That's who they're going to help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, it's I, just like inflation know, helps the poor people. Yeah. Higher so if, wages. You play around, if you play around on like Tesla's website... Like I was, I was bored one day and I was just like, I'm going to look, they deduct your estimated savings on fuel from the price of the car to make the car's price look more appealing. Like that's like a thing. So it's like a $52,000 vehicle and they'll drop like eight, eight K off it for your estimated savings on fuel. Hmm. I I think as soon as these other, I mean, pretty much every major car company is now producing electric cars. I think you're going to see Tesla's price is going to have to drop. Otherwise, I don't know how. Yeah, unless they rebrand as a luxury brand. Yeah. But the other thing people don't talk about, and you're in Pennsylvania, so you guys have cold weather, but the battery life in winter up in these northern states, like it it naturally falls off. Like you can't have a car in, you know, northern Minnesota have the same range it has in southern Texas. Like battery life is dependent on on temperature. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing I remember when these things are first coming out, we were in the natural gas field and dealing with these cars and we were talking to people in other alternative fuel spaces. And they're kind of like, yeah, these Teslas are awesome. The power's 
just crazy. The technology is insane, um, but they're not practical up in these northern states because the range it falls like below half when it's below zero. Like it's not a practical solution, plus the charging time and all this and that. But um, it's weird how that's being like the the one that's being pushed. And there's never the conversation about how we make electricity. Like how green is that process? You know, or recycle the batteries. Right. Yeah. Someone, I forget who told me this years ago, I've always worked in energy pretty much. I was in nuclear and oil and gas, considering going back into nuclear for a little while. Um, but no matter what you do, or if it's, you know, um, hydropowered gas, um, you're going to have to break a few eggs. I mean, things right. are going to, I mean, there's going to be a lot of potential risk. Um, if you're damming up a river, you're, you know, you're damaging all this wildlife. If you have, uh, you have wind turbines, killing birds, you have solar panels, you're making your landscape look like shit and you're probably killing a bunch of shit too. Yeah. So you, there's no, there's no like safe way to create energy. No, I mean, you can take um, it back to, to horse and buggy. I mean, you look at like the 1890s in New York where people were dying from breathing in shit fumes and walking through soups of piss in the street because there was, was dead corpse horses and water. Yeah. Like it was like crazy. I mean, you couldn't live with horses that close in quarters with that many people. So, I mean, the, the car was the natural solution. So, yeah, we're just people and we consume and we need mm-hmm. to make energy and, and make transportation. And I would argue that, you know, left of the free market, like things have gotten like infinitely better over the last century. You know, I mean, you look at even just a car from like the 70s, like those big block muscle cars that get like 10 miles per gallon and they're heavy and stink and burn a bunch of fuel. Now we have cars that are way faster and use a third of the fuel um, and are way cleaner, you know, but it's just, it's just through technology. I had a 1991 Lincoln town car. It's what I learned to drive on. Nice. And I think it got about 12 miles per gallon, (laughs) but it was smooth, man. It was like driving a boat. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was amazing. Absolutely. Well, John, we're closing on an hour. Uh, I mean, anything you guys want to close on before we wrap up or do you guys want to go ahead and just uh, plug away? I'll just say sex work is real work. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't let your daughters grow up to be sex workers. Um, yeah, just plug Lines of Liberty. Uh, check us out three shows per week. Uh, Mark Clare hosts the Monday show. Brian McWilliams hosts the Wednesday show. And I'm on Thursday with Finding Freedom. Um, yeah, so we're on all the podcasting apps, obviously. So check us out there. Awesome. All right, guys. And yeah, we're, uh, on Twitter at Paul's to the walls with the Z and please rate and review on iTunes. And I guess, yeah, Tyler, go ahead and plug away your Twitter handle. You can find me at Schlitz underscore beer, at least till they send me a cease and desist. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We guys have a great night, John. Thanks again. See you.